Please rise for the reading of God's Word from Matthew 23, verses 23 and 24. Hear now God's Word. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you pay the tithe of mint and anise and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faith. These you ought to have done without leaving the others undone. Blind guides who strain out a gnat and swallow a camel. And thus far the reading of God's word and all God's people said. Amen. The Pharisees were an interesting bunch. As a group, they had some excellent qualities, as we have seen, and they also had some major flaws as well. They were not all alike. They didn't agree with one another. There were differing schools of thought within their ranks, and there were individuals with a variety of motives. In other words, they were not at all unlike our Reformed circles. Today I want us to look at how some of the Pharisees handled the Bible. They, like us, put a great emphasis upon the Word of God. Earnest in study, they were looked to as leaders. These are the guys you would go to to ask Bible questions to. They would have the answers. Now for some of us, this perhaps will be a very comfortable sermon because you don't handle the Bible at all, or perhaps very little. Well, um, that's a different sermon for a different day. You see, we can fall into the ditch on either side. In my college days in the 1970s, there was a term that was used to describe those who were quick to use their Bibles to straighten everyone else out. Uh, and that term was Bible bangers. I think an older version of that was Bible thumpers. Uh, but these terms were sometimes used against legitimate users of the Scriptures, but they were often used to simply describe people who misused the Bible in a variety of ways. And perhaps some of us, on occasion have been guilty of some of these pharisaical misuses. I'm pretty sure, now let me rephrase that, I am sure that I am among those who have done so. The Bible is a powerful book. It's powerful when it's used properly, but it's also powerful when it's misused. It is the living and abiding Word of God. It's sharper than a two-edged sword. The Bible tells us that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. God just simply spoke and things happened. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. His Word is everlasting. So given the power and the authority of the Bible, it is not surprising that some will take it up and use it in inappropriate ways, sometimes even with the best of intentions. The best tools and technology get misused and abused 
by sinners. Chainsaws are powerful, and they can do some really good things in the hands of someone who is skilled at handling such a thing. But in, the, but in other hands, the, the same chainsaw can do a lot of damage and can even kill. There are many who know their Bibles, but who fail to demonstrate the character that it commends. This is an embarrassment to the church, and it is confusing to the world. Tom Hovestall, in his book, Extreme Righteousness, Seeing Ourselves in the Pharisees, says this, We are blinded by knowledge. Biblical knowledge can mask the awareness of our depravity. Knowing the scriptures impresses people and leaves them with the notion, often false, that we must be walking closely with God. One of the dangers of having great skill with the Bible is the, is the thinking that because we know His Word, we know God. The connection is simply not that direct. Few in history had a better grasp of God's Word than the Pharisees. However, they were oblivious to God incarnate who lived among them. The Apostle James even tells us that knowing without doing leads to deception, even though we may understand that knowing about God is not the same as knowing God, it is very easy to blur that distinction. So the Pharisees, for example, could tell you, uh, in, the, in regard to the Old Testament, what the middle verse was they had counted frontward and backward and found the exact middle. In fact, they went beyond that. They could tell you the very middle letter uh, in the Bible. They knew that there were 613 commands, and some of them had memorized all of them. So it's possible for Bible knowledge to give a false sense of spiritual security and superiority rather than producing a tender and gracious heart. Such knowledge can blind and it can bind. As Paul puts it, knowledge puffs up. If such knowledge leads anywhere other than to loving God and loving our neighbors, then we have missed the point. In some cases, the Bible has become more an object of curiosity and fruitless spiritual debate. So Paul elaborates further when he writes to Pastor Timothy. In 1 Timothy 1, he says, As I urged you when I went to Macedonia, remain in Ephesus that you may charge some that they teach no other doctrine nor give heed to fables and endless genealogies which cause disputes rather than godly edification which is in, in faith. Now the purpose of the commandment the purpose of the Bible, the purpose of the commandment is love from a pure heart, from a good conscience, and for, from sincere faith, from which some, having strayed, have turned aside to idle talk, desiring to be teachers of the law, understanding neither what they say nor the things which they affirm. Again, it is possible for the Bible to become an end in itself, instead of a means to an end. 
Right doctrine is essential, but right doctrine is not sufficient by itself. Our theological system and doctrine can, sometimes can, become grids whereby we filter out the truth. Jesus loves to throw the Pharisees and us curveballs. For example, their messianic expectations kept them from seeing who Jesus really was. Their system. What my net won't catch isn't fish. This is a common problem among Christians of all stripes, including among the Reformed. Sometimes we have a tendency to follow particular trusted teachers, which can lead us to swallowing whole. I am a Paul, I am a Apollos, and then we could just fill in whatever blank you'd like. We swallow without chewing. And after listening to the Apostle Paul teach and preach, he commended the Bereans. I love this story in Acts 17:11, where Paul has come as an apostle to preach and to teach to the Bereans. And what does he say? What, how does he commend them? He says, well, first of all, they received the word, his words, his teaching, with all readiness of mind, with enthusiasm. They were very positive about Paul being there and preaching to them. And they searched the scriptures daily to find out, to make sure whether these things were so. They didn't just take Paul's word for it. They got their Bibles out. They were careful. Paul wasn't offended by that. He didn't say, well, I'm an apostle. You should just take my word for it. Paul was actually happy to see them do that. Moreover, having right doctrine can lead to spiritual smugness and a false sense of security. As we just read, Paul described to Timothy some, and he says this more than once now, that was in 1 Timothy uh, 1, uh, verse, uh, chapter 3, verses 7, we read. Now he, I want to say, read that last verse again. He says, Some desire to be teachers of the law, understanding neither what they say nor the things which they affirm. I want to be a teacher. I want to preach. I want to do this. I've got a lot to say. These men clearly lack no confidence in their knowledge or their ability to teach. Nevertheless, their teaching was fruitless, and their motivations were selfish. I've said to many a pastor, many a preacher, many a teacher, and I've said it to myself, and I'll say it again today. If I never preach again, the kingdom of God will be just fine. It doesn't need me. You don't need me. Or anybody else. Now, knowledge has its place, but knowledge also has its dangers. I've alluded to this earlier, but 1 Corinthians 8, 1 through 3, we know that we all have knowledge. Knowledge puffs up, but love edifies, love builds up. And if anyone thinks that he knows anything, do you think you know anything? He knows nothing yet as he ought to know. But if anyone loves God, this one, this one is known by him. Bible knowledge can lead to conceit and to spiritual cockiness, which is contrary to spiritual health. It is possible 
to accurately profess the faith without actually possessing it. So before continuing this, I want to point out that every Pharisee would deny doing any of these things, and that's one of the insidious aspects to this particular problem. Who wants to admit to such a thing? And as we will see, it comes in a variety of forms. And as I mentioned earlier, I believe that I've been guilty of several of these things, if not all of them, and need to be much more careful in handling the Word of God. My heart is deceitful. So let me urge you to drop your defenses and consider for a moment whether or not you might have a little Pharisee in you. Allow me to first address, though, the person who has deliberate bad motives. I am not assuming that any one of us has such motives. Nevertheless, such people have always been around, and we must be on the lookout for them. There are others who, uh, excuse me, there are those, the Bible tells us, who twist and pervert Scripture. Acts 20, for, uh, Paul says, For I know this, after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Also, from among yourselves, men will rise up, speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after themselves. Scripture throughout, Old and New Testament, warns against false prophets. Second Peter 2, 1-3, through 3, But there, are, there were also false prophets among the people, even as there will be false teachers among you, who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the Lord who bought them, and bring on themselves swift destruction. And many, many will follow their destructive ways because of whom the way of truth will be blasphemed. By covetousness they will exploit you with their deceptive words. So let me just make a word here. This, and nowadays this is even, even easier with the internet, with television, radio. We've had these around for a long time. But think of how many... Uh, Wacky things have developed in the name of Christ. Things that are just total embarrassment to have the name Christian attached to them. 2 Peter 3, 15 and 16. As also our beloved brother Paul, according to the wisdom given to him, has written to you, as also in all his epistles, speaking in them of these things, in which are some things hard to understand, which untaught and unstable people twist to their own destruction as they do the rest of the scriptures. And then we read about the peddlers of God's word. For we are not, Paul says, as so many peddling the word of God, but as of sincerity, as from God, we speak in the sight of God in Christ. Now think of a Joel Olstein or those type of characters. And... We see people exploiting, peddling the word of God for profit. Jesus said to the Sadducees, you know, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, but he says to the Sadducees, the other group, the other religious leaders, he says to them, you are mistaken not knowing the scriptures nor the power of God, though they could quote scripture all day long. Paul talks of those who preach another gospel. Galatians 1. I marvel that you are turning away so soon from Him who called you in the grace of Christ to a different gospel, which is not another, 
But there are some who trouble you and want to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we are an angel from heaven, preach any other gospel to you other than we have preached to you, let him be accursed. Let him go to hell. Talk about imprecatory. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone preaches any other gospel to you than what you have received, let him go to hell. And finally, there are those who simply deceitfully use the Scriptures. 2 Corinthians 4.2 But we have renounced the hidden things of shame, not walking in craftiness, nor handling the Word of God deceitfully, but by manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. But now I want to turn to the subtler problem that is driven by pride and self-righteousness. These are the things that we also have to be careful about since they too have lasting consequences. You can have the best motives in the world, but if you're doing certain things, if you're mishandling the Word of God, you can hurt people. You can mean well. These things have consequences, lasting consequences in our lives and in the lives of others These are the things that we, like some Pharisees, might be tempted to. Just a few. Selective judging. Picking parts of Scripture while ignoring other parts of Scripture. Our favorites. Not being balanced with the Word of God. Not giving the whole truth. But being selective in a way that is dangerous. The old story of a half-truth. Is just as bad. It is, it's still not the truth. We can defend one doctrine while we're violating three others. Wisdom requires bringing all of those together. Our text says today that what were the Pharisees doing? They were neglecting the weightier matters of God's Word. They were focused in on some really minute details. Tithing on mint and anise and cumin. But neglecting the more essential and more important matters. Sometimes we use the Bible with others in theological debate like it's a tic-tac-toe game. I've got my verses and you've got yours. They are all your verses and their verses. And it's important that we deal with all of them, not just the ones that we favor, that we think defend our cause. Another problem... And I think this was particularly a problem with Pharisees. And I just put it down as showing off. Look at me. Trying to impress others with what we know and, just as important, what they don't know. Trivia experts. Jots and tittles. Or finding the hidden and secret things in the Bible that nobody else can see. You need me to tell you, to show you, the Bible is not like one of the. You know those. They had these um, at the Sejuan restaurant in the hall back by the bathrooms. Those 3D prints. They had three of them in frames back there. Y'all remember those? I don't see them around much anymore. And Marinelle would look at them and she said, "I don't see it." But if you kind of halfway, just a little bit, cross your eyes, you could get get it just a little out of focus, and the 3D image would appear. 
And I think sometimes people kind of do that with the Bible. I think kind of halfway across their eyes and see things that aren't there. And have that special knowledge. And of course, there's just hypocrisy. Talking about the Bible, but not living it. Having a form of godliness, but denying its power. Or there's legalism. Turning things into oughts when the Bible hasn't done so. We can do this with worship or family or preaching and teaching. There's really a long list of things like this. I like it this way or I think it should be that way. Therefore, it ought to be this way. How about scriptural disputes? 1 Timothy 6, If anyone teaches otherwise and does not consent to wholesome words, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, and to the doctrine which accords with godliness, he is proud, knowing nothing, but is obsessed with disputes and arguments over words from which come envy and strife, reveling, evil suspicions, useless wranglings of men of corrupt minds and destitute of the truth, who suppose that godliness is a means of gain from which withdraw yourself. Have nothing to do with people like that. And then there's the problem of speculation. 1 Corinthians 4, 6-7 Now these things, brethren, I have figuratively transferred to myself and Apollos for your sakes that you may learn in us not to think beyond what is written, that none of you may be puffed up on behalf of one against another. For who makes you differ from another? And what do you have that you did not receive? Now, if you did indeed receive it, why do you boast as though you did not receive it? I was a jeweler and a gemologist for 10 years, and so I especially like this illustration that I ran across in Hobostel's book. In Kimberley, South Africa, he said, I twice was able to visit the world's largest man-made hole left by diamond hunters. Here, Cecil Rhodes, who would fund the famous Rhodes Scholarship, began to make his fortune. As miners dug, they found diamonds, and soon the area was crawling with prospectors digging as deeply as they could. I was told that the biggest diamonds, however, were found on or near ground surface. I liken the Bible to the mine in Kimberley. As deeply as we care to dig into God's Word, we can mine spiritual treasure. The source is inexhaustible. However, the most valuable diamonds of God's Word, contrary to what some of us preachers would have people believe, are on the surface, not deeply mined. The most important treasure of Scripture can be grasped by children. The little treasures may require more extensive tools in order to extract So with all of their Bible knowledge, Jesus still chastised the Pharisees for their insufficient Bible knowledge. As they complained about Jesus' fellowship with sinners, for example, Jesus said to them, 
and this is a phrase that would have really hit home because it would be one that uh, rabbis would have used with their students when they were missing the point. He says, but go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice, for I did not come to call the righteous but sinners to repentance. Basically, he said to the Pharisees, you need to get your Bible out again. God's priorities must be our priorities. Jesus made this point again in today's text when he said, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you pay the tithe of mint and anise and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faith. These you ought to have done without leaving the others undone. Blind guides who strain out a gnat and swallow a camel. You miss the point. They majored on the minors, minored on the majors. And again, Jesus drove this home to the Pharisees when he said to them in John 5, 39, You search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life, and these are they which testify of me. Again, missing the point. Here's Jesus standing right in front of them. It is possible to know the Bible and not know the author of the Bible. Overconfidence can make us unteachable. And the person who really knows their Bible is first humble. Charles Swindoll said, I like this statement, Knowledge can be dangerous when it is not balanced with love and grace. Such knowledge results in arrogance which leads to an intolerant spirit and exclusive mindset. And so I want to mention one other misuse of the Bible before we close today. I don't think this is one that the Pharisees were guilty of, but as I was thinking about this, I thought it was worth mentioning. 2 Peter 3, 15 and 16. And consider that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation, as also our beloved brother Paul, according to the wisdom given to him, has written to you, as also in all his epistles, speaking in them of these things, in which are some things hard to understand, and which untaught and unstable people twist to their own destruction, as they do also the rest of the Scriptures. This was not a problem, again, so much of the Pharisees, but it has always been a problem in the church. It comes, <clears throat> it comes from that person who usually has drifted from one group to another, one church to another, and they tend to pick up every odd doctrine to assemble a weird theology. This eccentric person who might be very intelligent is attracted always to the novel thing. Peter says they are untaught, and therefore they are unstable. And we might also turn that around and say those who are unstable are also untaught. So, I want to conclude today just by reading some a few passages of Scripture here, and then we'll pray. Isaiah 8.20 To the law and to the testimony, if they do not speak according to this word, it is because there is no light in them. 2 Timothy 2.14 and 15 Remind them of these things, charging them before the Lord not to strive about words, to no profit, to the ruin of the hearers. 
Be diligent to present yourselves approved of God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Acts 20, 27, For I have not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God. Matthew 24, 35, Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words by no means will pass away. Psalm 119, 160, The entirety of your word is truth, and every one of your righteous judgments endures forever. Revelation 22, 18 and 19, For I testify to everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book, if anyone adds to these things, God will add to him the plagues that are written in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God shall take away his part from the book of life, from the holy city, and from the things which are written in this book. A couple more. John 8, 31 and 32. Then Jesus said to those Jews who believed him, If you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. And then 1 Peter 2, 1 and 3, Therefore, laying aside all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and evil speaking, as newborn babes desire the pure milk of the word, that you may grow thereby, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is gracious. And that's the, the thing we have to remember. The word is given to change us, to transform us, to shape us into the likeness of Christ. Which means we act like Christ. We show forth his love, his grace, his mercy, his humility. And that is the goal of the word in our lives and as we use it in the lives of others. Let's pray. Father, we are a people of your word and we are committed to following enthusiastically and joyfully uh, as we receive it, meditate on it, and abide in it. And having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible through the word of God, which lives and abides forever. Because all flesh is as grass, and all the glory of man is the flower of the grass. The grass withers, and its flower falls away, but the word of the Lord endures forever. Now this is the word which by the gospel was preached to you. We remember the words of our Lord. Blessed are those who hear the word of God. And keep it. Amen. Amen. As we prepare to come to the table, I want to read a portion of Psalm 119, beginning in verse 97. Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. You, through your commandments, make me wiser than my enemies, for they are ever with me. I have more understanding than all my teachers, for your testimonies are my meditation. I understand more than the ancients, because I keep your precepts. I have restrained my feet from every evil way, that I may keep your word. I have not departed from your judgments, for you yourself have taught me. How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Through your precepts I get understanding, therefore... I hate every false way. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. I have sworn and confirmed that I will keep your righteous judgments. And so we come to the Lord's table 
to renew our commitment and covenant to follow him all the days of our lives. And of course, this means abiding in and following his word. Amen. But let all those rejoice who put their trust in you. Let them ever shout for joy because you defend them. Let those also who love your name be, be joyful in you. For you, O Lord, will bless the righteous. With favor you will surround him as with a shield. Amen. Amen.